listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Pharmacy benefit managers, better known as PBMs, are responsible for negotiating payment rates for a large share of prescription drugs distributed in the United States. Recently, state Medicaid systems, policymakers, and national pharmacy associations have expressed concern that certain PBMs' business practices may not be consistent with public policy goals to improve the value of pharmaceutical spending. This podcast series is all about PBM reform. Listen to the discussions, share these podcasts, and help build a new pharmacy payer system, which supports our independent community pharmacies, encourages fair and transparent competition in the marketplace, and most importantly, is designed to deliver the best patient care. Wow. Disruption in the pharmacy world, um, especially care around our veterans and the impact of this TRICARE switch out or whatever you want to call it. Um, There's 15,000 plus pharmacies that have been kicked out of the network. There's no other way to to say it. Um, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. And pharmacists, you're listening right now. You may uh, be experiencing the phone calls, the frustration, people standing in front of you with their insurance card through Tricare, looking you in the eyes and asking them, asking you, what are they supposed to do? Um, this is not good. I think for uh, patient care or our healthcare system. The Pharmacy Podcast Network is dedicated, number one, to patient care, pharmacy care. And number two, we're advocates and and fans of our pharmacists and what you're doing to change things and to transform healthcare in general. And we see so many things happening. But I like bringing experts to the table to clarify what is truth, what is fact. And I couldn't think of a better uh, person to bring um, to the Pharmacy Podcast again I think this is his third time in in a short time, which is a treat for us. But Alan Rosenblum, uh, welcome back to the Pharmacy Podcast. Uh, thanks, Todd. And it's a treat for me, too. I really enjoy talking with you and uh, uh, sharing, in this case, the, the bad news. It is bad news. Senior Care Pharmacy Coalition, uh, your group, uh, the SCPC, uh, the only trade group in Washington exclusively representing the interest of long-term care pharmacies and public policy arena, and you get a lot of inside information about what's happening in the world of pharmacy benefit managers and insurance and how this impacts pharmacy care and, and our patients. So let's jump into this. We know that there's been some decisions that were made uh, that took effect on Monday, the 24th of October, 2022, and um, it has now had a ripple and trickle effect on patients not understanding what to do. Um, there's changes coming in the new year that will affect um, those who rely on specialty medications for chronic complex conditions like cancers or, or rheumatoid arthritis or multiple sclerosis or other diseases. And TRICARE and Express Scripts have shrunk their pharmacy network, affecting an estimated 400,000 TRICARE beneficiaries. Alan, what the heck's going on? Um, this, is, this is, like I said, this is not good news. Well, you know, in broad brush, what's going on is that Express Scripts, ESI, Cigna is essentially grabbing the money. Bottom line, they're excluding pharmacies from the network, apparently to try to steer as much business as possible towards their mail order pharmacy uh, for uh, for the folks who qualify for TRICARE. 
and in the process are leaving those folks in, in you know, those 400,000 people who are basically going to have to switch pharmacies in a substantial care lurch, especially those TRICARE beneficiaries who, who are in long-term care facilities and whose drugs are being paid for by TRICARE. Uh, so that's the, that's the big picture. There are lots of specifics, um, and I'm, I'm happy to explore them. Uh, I guess I would start by saying that as a framework, not surprisingly, ESI needs a PBM. ESI, I'm not ESI, I mean, I mean TRICARE. TRICARE offers healthcare benefits and prescription drug coverage to active duty uniformed military and their families and dependents, and uh, military retirees, their families and dependents. And so that is about 9.6 million people who are insured by TRICARE. Um, like a lot of health insurance programs, and you know, for example, um, TRICARE doesn't provide a benefit for long-term care services, but it does pay for the drugs for people who are in long-term care facilities where the care is being paid for by somebody else, but the drugs are being paid for by TRICARE. And so that's that's kind of the framework I think is important. TRICARE has been, ESI has been the uh, PBM for TRICARE for a couple of contract periods. The next seven-year contract period starts January 1st of 2023. So in mid-July, TRICARE sent a, a contract amendment to a subset of pharmacies that are in the TRICARE network or were in the TRICARE network until Monday, essentially giving them an offer they almost had to refuse because it was a, an offer that not only kept dispensing fees typically at $0, which has been the case in TRICARE for a while, but it took out all, all of the margin, all of the ability to not lose money on most TRICARE business by substantially reducing what uh, pharmacies would be paid for the costs of acquiring the drugs, drug acquisition costs or ingredient costs. And so, uh, so they kind of gave pharmacies this Hobson's choice accept a, uh, you know, a money losing contract uh, because you don't want to abandon veterans or TRICARE beneficiaries or leave the network. Um, now, there are a couple of things about this that are particularly abusive. These agreements, this contract amendment was faxed to individual pharmacies, right? It wasn't, it wasn't emailed. It wasn't sent in any, you know, any particular way because they were also selectively choosing pharmacies. They didn't, for example, offer the contract to every pharmacy in a, uh, in a company. They did it selectively. The faxes went directly to the pharmacy location, not to the corporate office that ESI historically has dealt with, right? So that so that there was a you know some time delay and potentially fatal time delay uh, in assessing it, getting it to the people that you needed to get it to, getting a decision made, et cetera. The notice also gave pharmacies two weeks, 14 days to either accept the contract in writing or uh, be kicked out of the network. And the written uh, acceptance had to be sent digitally, not faxed back, right? So my, my, I look at this and I, and I think, well, we're in the 21st century, right? And presumably ESI is in the 21st century when it comes to them making money because they want their contract sent back in, in writing digitally, but in communicating with, with the pharmacies that they really probably don't want in their networks, um, they use, you know, uh, antiquated technology to make it all the harder 
for uh, for folks to actually take advantage of the opportunity if they chose to do so. So the result is that a bunch of pharmacies didn't sign the contract. A bunch of pharmacies simply didn't act fast enough. And as you point out, the up- upshot is that you know apparently more than ten thousand pharmacies have been kicked out of the network. The last point I'll make here, and then I'll stop when we have some dialogue, is that not every pharmacy that was in the network, uh, you know, at the beginning of 2022, even got this contract offer. While it's unclear why, how ESI selected the subset of pharmacies that it it offered this this contract amendment to, it appears to be the case that it is more likely if you were in a rural area or you were serving rural areas or there were questions about the degree to which ESI mail order, Express Scripts mail order, could provide drugs on a consistent basis that wouldn't risk you know, interruptions and so forth. But you know, if, if they felt they needed more retail pharmacies in those areas, those, who, those are the people that they asked. Everybody else just get kicked out of the network. No option on, uh, you know, on uh, um, take, accepting, you know, take, taking this, uh, you know, this, this poor contract. So that's kind of where we were in the July to early August timeframe. So we have a quote from the CEO of the National Community Pharmacists Association, Doug Hoy, and he's quoted saying, TRICARE patients earned their benefits, and it is imperative that they retain convenient access to their health care providers. His letter to Secretary Austin, he went on to say, with a vast majority of independent pharmacies out of the network, and here's the part that makes me even more angry, um, because I, I'm I'm pro pro patient care, pro pharmacy care. I'm not out there just fighting for community pharmacists. I'm I'm out here fighting for what's best for our patients. And and Doug is the same way. Along with these fourteen thousand plus community independently owned pharmacies. Large chains like Kroger and Walmart are going to be cut out of this service to veterans and veterans' families and service people, um, and and it's difficult to see how that Cigna Express Scripts is meeting even the reduced access standards in its new contract um, with the DoD. And and so this is a shout out to everybody listening. If you're listening, you're a pharmacy owner, you're a pharmacist. Please make it known to your uh, local um, politicians as well as your state politicians uh, that this is a bad move for patient care. This is a bad move for community health care. It's disruptive. Um, Also, Alan, I'm thinking of the complexities that you know very well. Um, The whole backbone of your organization is, is making sure that our seniors are cared for. And I think of the regimen that are now being disrupted when the senior knows their pharmacist has questions about something ancillary to their treatment is reaching out to them. Can you imagine being on an 800 number waiting for a complex issue, not receiving the call back, uh, waiting on, on hold for hours there, the whole service side of this has just been completely dumped by this move in comparison to what these uh, personalized community pharmacies can do. And don't even get me started about talking about the dangers of, of mail order pharmacy. Yeah, I mean, Todd, there's, there's, so, much, there's so much packed into what you just said uh, <laughs> that I'll try, to, I'll try to make a couple of points that are responsive in addition to my completely agreeing with you. The first is just in general in terms of service. Um, 
you know, you, you were, most of your comments were oriented toward, you know, community retail pharmacies, which, you know, it isn't simply about answering questions, uh, you know, right there at the counter, uh, or when, when you, when you call the pharmacist, uh, it's also about all of the things that aren't just the prescription drugs that, uh, you know, TRICARE beneficiaries or all of us get at our local pharmacies, right? So it's vaccine services, it's advice, uh, you know, it's flu, you know, it's, it, it's a whole bunch of other stuff, right? Now let's think about the long-term care pharmacy because long-term care pharmacies are primarily serving people who are in long-term care facilities. And with that comes an, another level of service, both specialized services around standardized packaging and unit dose packaging and the like, as well as clinical and consultative services that not only are essential to the well-being of these patients who are in these facilities, but also required by law. And uh, TRICARE does not, you know, gives no recognition whatsoever to the legal obligations to provide those services in the degree to which they are not paying adequately to render those services. Now let's talk about people on the phone, because if you think about the average person who is in a long-term care facility, what do they look like? Okay, obviously they're seniors. They tend to be on the older end of the senior scale, right? They have multiple chronic conditions, on average four to five chronic conditions. They have um, multiple impairments in daily living activities. And those are things like you know getting out of bed, uh, going to the bathroom by yourself, feeding yourself, you know, have, being mobile, et cetera. And they have, a, you know, a fairly high prevalence of cognitive impairments, Alzheimer's and the like. So these, for, for the most part, are not even people who are capable of picking up the phone and waiting on hold with ESI for an endless period of time to have non-answers to questions, right? So that, you know, all of that is, is just simply being ignored. It's being ignored by the Defense Department. It's being ignored by TRICARE. It's being ignored by ESI. Uh, so while there are these service issues across the whole independent pharmacy space, it is particularly problematic in the long-term care pharmacy world. Uh, so, you know, those are all things that I thought of when you when you were talking uh, about this. And let's let me do conclude on a point about mail order, because as you may know, all of the TRICARE beneficiaries who were affected by this got a notice. I think it was to the extent they could do it, they did it by email. And the email notice said, I love this, your pharmacy has decided to leave our network. <laughs> Not, we, 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 we affirmatively excluded thousands of them and we gave the rest such a bad deal and so little time and used such ridiculous processes in the 21st century that many of them simply didn't respond. And so we kicked them out of the network. Right. Uh, so they create this impression that the pharmacies are abandoning TRICARE beneficiaries, you know, military retirees and the like. And then they say, but good news, you can have two options. Option number one, there are other retail pharmacies click here. And anecdotally, at least when when beneficiaries have clicked there, the pharmacies that are supposedly in network include pharmacies that are closed, pharmacies that have, in fact, been kicked out of the network, et cetera. Etc. So at best, ESI did a terrible job of cleaning up their list of alternative retail pharmacies. The more um, suspicious interpretation is that they did so intentionally because option two in this notice was, or click here for home delivery, which takes you immediately to the Express Scripts website. And what's really even more interesting about this is that this email came on digital letterhead from Express Scripts, whereas Express Scripts is not the PBM. 
The PBM as a corporate entity is ESI. So ESI delegated its, its role as the PBM to its own owned pharmacy, which then sent out a communication that certainly seemed to be preferring and giving the better option to, to consumers uh, to sign up for the ESI mail order, which of course does not provide any of the specialized packaging, uh, other specialized services or clinical and consultative services that long-term care pharmacies are required to provide. So, you know, as compared to a person who is in, say, a nursing facility, where every patient in the facility is getting medications packaged in a systematic way to make it easier for the nursing staff to administer meds because most beneficiary, most people in nursing homes need help in taking their daily meds, right? Uh, they need nursing staff to help administer and, you know, and so forth. Uh, and so the, st the standardized packaging is, is required to, to avoid medication errors. And, you know, some, some, somebody gets somebody else's drug, et cetera, et cetera. So you have this packaging system, you're well aware of this, um, that is designed to minimize all of those errors. Now what's happening? ESI is sending 90-day supplies. And by the way, under federal law in nursing homes, you can't dispense certain drugs. You can't dispense in larger than 14-day supplies. And you don't dispense in larger than month supplies. You just don't do it because of because of all of the risks. So you put all that together, and it's like as as significant as the problems are for independent retail pharmacies, and I do not mean to minimize them, or for the people who are getting who used to be served by them. Um, it's even worse in long term care. I just want to. I don't know. I want to see the other side of it. I want to try to pretend to be in TRICARE's um, business meeting and whoever came up with this idea, I mean, aka the PBM lobbyist or the business development people or someone at ESI uh, Express Scripts. What is, what is their play on this? How are they communicating this to people like um, Senator uh, John Tester, who's who's really pissed off from Montana, chairman of the Senate Committee on Veterans Affairs, and he mm -hmm. blasted these changes and said that this is a threat to beneficiaries and to health care. Um, he actually, uh, you know, sent a letter uh, of of his um, of his anger and in, in, in saying this is not good for veterans. So let's flip this and try to share with the listeners. What is good that can come of this? Is it is it one hundred percent a money play from from Express Scripts' perspective, or what? What's good? What's what good can come of this change? Well, uh, uh, you know, I think objectively, it's hard to see what is what is good about this for beneficiaries, or what is good about this for independent pharmacies, or what is good about this for commitment to the antitrust laws, or what is good about this to community health. I, I just, I, I honestly think I, I don't have a good, good justification. I can, however, tell you what Cigna has been saying on Capitol Hill, which has basically been to try to minimize the impact. This is just a matter of contract. You know, it improves, it improves the economics of the program for the Defense Department. Uh, it, uh, you know, even though, you know, 15,000 pharmacies roughly have been, have been kicked out of the network, or as, as Cigna says, will be leaving the network. Um, you know, they claim that 41,000 pharmacies remain in the network. You know, and as I said, they claim this is not auditable information. Um, you know, they claim that 
most beneficiaries will still have 15, will have at least two pharmacies within a 15 minute drive of where they live, which is great, except, well, I'm not sure how great it is, right? But but the point is that that doesn't speak to the long-term care pharmacy piece because people in nursing homes don't get in their cars and drive to get their drugs, right? Um, and so, you know, it's basically been, been minimization. They emphasize that it's 400,000 of 9.6 million TRICARE beneficiaries, which is only 4%. But all of that, you know, disregards what life will be, what life is like right now for those 400,000. Because what's really interesting is the contracts with pharmacies, right, were calendar year contracts. And the notice that originally went to them said that these changes would become effective January 1, 2023. When they when they got the the contract option, but ESI nonetheless is implemented as you pointed out on Monday, October twenty fourth. Where did that come from? Why is that appropriate under contract? You know, none of this is known. You know, it just seems to me like uh, not only is it bottom line is I don't have an answer. I don't have a good justification for this. I don't see why it help how it helps beneficiaries, right? I don't see how it helps anything except ESI's bottom line. And, and, and frankly, in my opinion, no government program, particularly the Defense Department, should you know, help a, a, a private company with which it contracts exploit people, reduce the access to essential services that TRICARE beneficiaries ought to have they deserve, and do so in a way that you know, arguably is violating the antitrust laws and you know, to boot. It's just wrong, just fundamentally wrong. And, and our government should not be, be funding those kinds of deals, even if it does reduce how much it costs to provide health, uh, health benefits and pharmacy benefits to uh, TRICARE beneficiaries. But it doesn't. <clears throat> it doesn't reduce the cost to the member, to the benefit, to the benefit, you know, the benefits um, that's that extended to the family. Um, Peter Graves, he's spokesman for the Defense Health Agency, he told Military Times earlier um, in the week, it's, he said, despite the change, the TRICARE retail network will continue or meet or exceed TRICARE standards for pharmacy access. That is completely false information. That's a false statement because when you remove a pharmacy that, and I, this can be any pharmacy, um, from the patient's regimen, the disruption in the way that they manage their lives, the time that they have, people that are involved as caregivers. Um, this is a major disruption to, um, to patient care, to medication management, to pharmacy care, and it's dangerous. And so a shout out to Peter Graves. I, we'd love to have you uh, give your side of the, of, the, uh, of, of the story because your statement is, is false. It's yeah. How can you give better care or meet and exceed TRICARE standards, whatever standards those are for pharmacy access, when you've just removed uh, 15,000 plus pharmacies from your network? I, I couldn't agree more. I would love to hear his answer to the simple question of how is this better for beneficiaries? Just answer that question, because I don't see it. And, and frankly, when I look at the uh, I have another screen over here. I'm looking at, at this communication from TRICARE that went to the Hill. There's nothing that talks about better outcomes for patients, better care for patients, continuity of care, none of that. 
right? It's all about, well, you know, let's minimize the problem because it's only this many people and it really isn't that many pharmacies as a percentage. And, they, you know, there's still access to enough pharmacies, et cetera, et cetera. But that doesn't take into account, you know, kind of the the, the disruption of having to shift providers or, ph or pharmacies, right? The other thing I would say is that, that there aren't, there is not much in the way of network adequacy standards under TRICARE. Or for that matter, the Federal Employee Health Benefits Program. I know that's not the topic today, but you know, Part D at least has some network adequacy standards, however, you know, loosely they are they are considered or enforced, but at least they're there and they do prevent a break on behaviors like this under Part D plans, right? But TRICARE to say that there's a network adequacy standard is is it's it's to a certain degree misleading because there is no real network adequacy standard. Right. It's not like you can point to some regulation or some guidance document the way you can with CMS on Part D and say, OK, here's what they mean. You know, uh, and so I, I I just discount that notion that somehow there's network adequacy. We don't have a standard. So how do you know what's at what's adequate? This is recognized by hundreds of politicians who have uh, acted and have written uh, to um, the acting assistant secretary Mullen, um, the honorable Celine Mullen, who is um, with the Defense of Health Affairs, the DHA. And there's three points I want to bring up to our listeners. Number one, how is the DHA monitoring current and future retail pharmacy participation in the TRICARE pharmacy program? And um, Alan, I'm going to look to you to, to kind of comment on that. And what's not mentioned in number one is anything to do with more complex pharmacy care. We're not just talking about, hey, go get your vaccine or, hey, you have, um, you know, um, you have a virus that we need to, to get under control. We're talking about complex conditions that, as you and I know, in the senior long-term care pharmacy world, much different than the community world. So number one doesn't even touch, um, you know, bearing on some of the most fragile of our people that are that are, that need these benefits and need access to the pharmacy that they're used to using because that individual that pharmacy technician that pharmacist that's caring for that patient knows exactly what's going on in their life and it could be something that needs additional attention for so let's talk about number one how is dha monitoring current and future retail pharmacy participation in the tricare pharmacy program I don't know the, the specific answer to that question. I suspect not very well uh, in the sense that there isn't a real network adequacy standard. You know, so it's not like they can say, well, we need to be sure that there are, you know, that each beneficiary has access or in a particular market has access to pharmacies, let's say retail pharmacies within a certain amount of time or a certain distance. The way that that's kind of the Part D standard is distance. You need to have, you know, a certain number of pharmacies in network within a mile if you're in a, or an urban area or within three miles, I think it is if you're in a rural area, right? Maybe it's a little, little longer, I don't remember exactly, but you know, th there's no such standard like that. So there really isn't even the capacity to monitor. Essentially, it's like, it's like we're gonna trust the PBM that we contract with to assure that there's network adequacy. And I'm sure there are network adequacy provisions in the contract between DOD and um, ESI, but it's not like that contract is you know immediately available on the web 
I mean, I, I suspect it would be subject to public disclosure, but I don't think it's like posted. I think you have to go and request it and go through a Freedom of Information Act request, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, it's 18 months till you get the contract. Uh, which by then it's we're way down the line, right? In fact, one of the uh, one of the things I'll just as an aside, one of the things the ASI in its pitch to the Hill communicates is, well, you know, this is only for a year, and you know, maybe maybe we'll, maybe they'll be back in the network next year, which is of course a misrepresentation. Of course, they're not going to be back in the network next year. You know, that's not that's not where the business is. So, well, you, you know, you just yeah. brought something up, Alan, that is part of number two in this letter from our. Yeah. Our politicians, number two says, if future in-network pharmacy participation decreases, which it is, what steps will the DHA take to ensure adequate access to in-person pharmacy services for TRICARE beneficiaries? That's exactly what you just said, Alan. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd like an answer to that from, from TRICARE. Yeah, I would too. I would too. I mean, th th they haven't answered that question. And, you know... Um, I'm not sure that I'm not sure what the answer will be. I do know, as you point out, that Senator Tester is quite exercised about this and is uh, not alone. Yeah, as you know, there have been a number of members in both chambers who have weighed in with TRICARE. Now, so far, the congressional kind of outreach directly, these various letters that have been sent, all essentially say, explain yourself. And that's a good first step. But with the, with pharmacies now out of the network this week. You know, in Congress, uh, essentially back home running for reelection in two weeks, the question remains, now what? And I don't know if you, you I assume we're going to get to that, so I won't go into it right now, but that's that's an important consideration. What what political what will all of this building political pressure do or what could it do between now and the end of this this year, the end of this Congress that could help to address the problem, you know, in the short term as opposed to, well, we'll get to it next year. Yep. Number three in this letter, it says terminating the 2022 pharmacy contracts two months ahead of schedule will likely lead to a disruption of care for TRICARE beneficiaries. They ask, what reasons has Express Scripts given the DHA for terminating the 2022 contracts early? And then their follow-up is, please outline what oversight DHA has over Express Scripts haha ha. as well as what authority dha has given express scripts to make those contract changes that yeah. is the icing on this cake uh alan i i yeah. i want answers to that last one that last one is is the nail in the coffin in my opinion of this even taking place yeah i, I you know i guess um i guess i would say a couple of things about that number one i have no clue what what the dod's you know, actual oversight is. I suspect not much. You know, number number two, the answers to those questions will largely turn on the terms of the contract between ESI and the Defense Department. As far as I know, and I will acknowledge that while I think I, I think it's fair to characterize me as an expert in federal health policy, I'm not an expert in federal defense policy. Having said that, based on my 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 somewhat you know, better than lay knowledge. Um, it's unlikely that the Defense Department has any statutory or regulatory proscriptions preventing them from exercising detailed oversight over the contract. 
and over ESI's behavior. Rather, I think it will it will turn on the on the particulars of the contract, and um, and I think you know so so that to me is in the short term the most important set of factors. In the longer term, there are things that Congress could do to ramp up the oversight, and I'm certainly hoping that they embrace those changes. Hopefully, as soon as as soon as December. Uh, as you probably know, there is an annual exercise of uh, reauthorizing the National Defense. Well, it's called the National Defense Authorization Act, and every year it basically funds the national defense. And um, the House has passed their version of the bill. The Senate is prepared to consider its version of the bill after the um, election, and then sometime between now and the end of this Congress. Congress will have to come together on, a, on an, you know, both chambers will have to agree on what's in the bill uh, so that, you know, we have a national defense next year, come January, January 1. Um, and although sometimes they kick the can down the road, I don't believe they've ever kicked this can down the road. They always fund um, defense. So uh, Senator Lankford from Oklahoma proposed two amendments in the Senate to the bill, one of which would essentially you know, return everything to the status quo ante for 2023. So same network, same same contractual payment terms. The second amendment would basically prevent ESI, prevent the Defense Department from selecting, from allowing the PBM with which it contracts to selectively prefer its own owned pharmacies. Um, that would be a really nice solution. Unfortunately, when the Senate was in town two weeks ago to get this get, kind of get their amendments together there are over 900 amendments that various members of the senate proposed uh the managers you know there's kind of something called the manager's amendment which is usually the document around which uh the chamber the senate in this case proceeds to consider changes to the bill and there were only 75 of these 900 plus amendments that made it into the manager's amendment senator langford's amendments were not included that doesn't mean that there is no shot at getting them added, either getting them added in the Senate version or in the conference between the two chambers, but it makes it somewhat harder. It's not in the manager's amendment. Um, take that idea, though. I'm, you know, one, there's something that can be done, like hopefully between now and and, and Christmas to uh, to address this issue immediately Two, the notion of no preferential treatment to your own pharmacies is something that ought to be considered legislatively next year, not only with respect to TRICARE, but with respect to the federal employee health benefits programs and with respect to Part D. And, and, and you know, well, well, what we're concerned about right now is access to pharmacies, both retail and long-term care, which is a very important issue. This should especially be applied to specialty pharmacy because, you know, you alluded earlier to very expensive drugs and that's obviously specialty drugs. And, and, and the way that, that PBMs are able to manipulate networks and manipulate contracts and manipulate, you know, through, through influence over manufacturers, pharmacy access to specialty drugs essentially allows them to capture most of the specialty business for their own owned specialty pharmacies, of which Cigna and, uh, you know, United and CVS Health have the three largest in the, in the country, which I think collectively control, you know, like two thirds of the specialty prescriptions, which is an awful lot of money. So um, that to me is is something that that we should be working on for next year. Uh, 
I'd like to see an immediate TRICARE solution. Um, and I, and I, as I understand it, you know, the, the political pressure that, uh, military, you know, military organizations, uh, rep, you know, representing various, you know, the TRICARE beneficiaries and especially TRICARE retirees, uh, and the pharmacies collectively are doing is, is increasing the noise and the political pressure on the defense department and the Biden administration to do something about this. And, um, and unfortunately, in Congress, I think there, you know, there's a lot of effort, as you pointed out, hundreds of uh, of uh, members have now or more than 100 members have weighed in on the side of fixing this. Yep. Uh, but another group has basically is basically parroting um, Cigna talking points. And so the politics are not, you know, are, are, are it's a big it's a big political fight, not a surprise. Um, and that's why I'm glad people like Senator Tester are involved, because. Uh, you know, Senator Tester is not somebody I would like to have angry at me. Yeah. Well, um, we appreciate the insights that you bring um, to the to the podcast publication. Uh, we're excited about um, the movement of many of the issues that you've been working on um, through the Senior Care Pharmacy Coalition. Um, and we applaud your efforts uh, of constantly banging that drum to assure that our patients are getting the services that they need, the pharmacy care that they need. Alan, we uh, have an open invitation to you and to the team at the Senior Care uh, Pharmacy Coalition to come back and update us. And hopefully we have updates for our Pharmacy Podcast Network upcoming on TRICARE specifically. And if something changes, um, Alan, we'd love to have you back. Thanks, Todd. And just in, in closing, let me give you, if you don't mind, one example of how this has played out in real time, in real life for a long-term care pharmacy. Please do. One of our members is based in, in Portland, Oregon, and has a number of pharmacies in the West in various states, including Oregon, Washington State, California, and others. The pharmacy that they operate in Washington State got this contract amendment. The other pharmacies didn't. And of course, it went directly to that pharmacy. And this is a pharmacy that happens to serve, among others, a, a, a long-term care facility in eastern Washington, very close to a large military base. So there are a number of military retirees, and therefore a number of the people that are in these facilities are uh, have TRICARE paying for their drugs. And this company made the decision to continue serving these folks, even though they're not going to get paid for it. Now, it's not it's not, you know, it is a it's a higher percentage than in most facilities. In fairness, it's not like, you know, 50 percent of their business from the facility, but it's a it's a meaningful percentage. And they made that choice because they did not want to abandon military retirees. Right. The, the Defense Department should not be placing pharmacies in the position of making that choice. And they should not allow their contractors to put pharmacies that are important to providing care and services to people in the community and in long-term care facilities across this country in those kinds of positions. It is wrong for government to do that. And if for no other reason, this is why this issue should be addressed and promptly. Jeez, what a mess. Yep. Well, we appreciate that update and, and it, it's just the heart of our privately owned organizations out there um, that are, are active in serving their community and of course veterans. Um, we have an entire campaign called U.S. Farmy that raises money for um, vets who are experiencing issues with PTSD and 
pharmacy care specifically, the the whole psychotropic side of of medication management, which is so complex. And I can only imagine when we're talking about mental health um, being impacted by these decisions and some of the uh, depression that some of our uh, veterans and caregivers, their their family members even go through um, because of of being active in 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 battle and in what you happens uh, happens in service and that compounds this as an issue of messing with people's health care just for profit and that's it there's no other there i know i set up the question to you alan earlier and i asked so what's the you know let's be devil as advocate and say what's what's the good that's going to come of this and i can't see anything other than the the tax money that is going to be used to um to grow the profits of of express scripts and that's the only thing that i can see from their perspective that is good um of of any of the shakeup yeah couldn't agree more alan you are a uh, bucket of information that we want to become a resource for the pharmacy uh, podcast publications we thank you very much for uh, being here and um we we like i said it's an open invitation to have you come back Thank you. My pleasure. And it's always uh, a great opportunity for me, too. Thanks. PBM reform is not a textbook process. This component of healthcare insurance will take time to figure out and will consist of many different players of the pharmaceutical supply chain. If you'd like to contribute information, data, or your own insights on PBM reform, please contact the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Send your email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com or call us at 412-585-4001.